Our topic today out of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, not bow down. In chapter 3, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, which is 90 feet, and its width 6 cubits, 9 feet, and he set it up in the plain of Dora in the providence of Babylon. Now, it's out in the plain, and it's pretty barren out there anyway. It's, uh, so we've got this 90-foot statue of gold out there, so it can be seen from a, bit, a good distance. And there it is, I mean, just solid gold. That's pretty, that's a lot of gold, right? So this kingdom is a wealthy kingdom, a powerful kingdom. He's able to amass this and protect it, right? I mean, just give me a toe. That's all I want. I just want a toe of the statue, right? I don't need the whole statue, right? So he's got to keep uh, people from coming and knocking off the toes of this thing. So he's got this, he's, he's well-armed, powerful nation. He's conquered many nations. And so he sets up this statue of gold out there in Babylon. Now, the reason that the statue is fully gold is not only because they could do it and they were rich enough to do it, but there was a specific reason. And the reason is because in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has a dream. And in his dream, he sees a statue, and there's a big, huge statue, and its head is gold. But the problem with the statue is then it has silver for its chest, brass for its waist, iron for its legs, and iron and clay for its feet. And he, can't, he doesn't know it, so we won't get into the whole chapter 2 right now, but Daniel comes along and, and interprets it for him, and Daniel tells him, that this representation of these different metals shows that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom of Babylon rep is represented by this head of gold, this gold kingdom. And we can see it again. He's able to amass a whole statue of gold. And, but it's going to be replaced with another kingdom. Another kingdom is going to come and conquer Babylon, and it's going to be inferior, and then that kingdom is going to be conquered by another kingdom, and it's going to be represented by the brass, and that kingdom will be conquered and replaced with another kingdom. And we'll get into that in Daniel too. But uh, for right now, so Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, Daniel, that's, that's great. But no doubt, as he thought about that later on, he was thinking, you know, I don't particularly care for that interpretation. I don't like that dream. I don't like that message that uh, we're the head of gold, but we're going to be replaced. We're not going to be replaced. My kingdom is going to be forever and ever, an everlasting kingdom. Right? We're not going to be replaced. No one's more powerful than us. No one's going to come and take our kingdom. And so we're not going to build a statue of a head of gold and silver and brass and iron and, and clay. I'm going to make a statue that's fully gold. And I'm going to make a statement to God that my kingdom, this kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, is going to continue from head to toe, gold all the way through, from now until forever, we are going to reign. We are going to be the most powerful in the whole world. No one is taking over our spot, right? We are the king, right? We are, we are the, the masters, right? We, we hold the throne. We hold the, the world championship, and we're not giving it up to anybody. And so that's what his statue is representing. That's what he's saying by building a statue fully of gold in defiance of God and the message that God gave to him in that dream and that Daniel interpreted. So that's why the statue is of gold, and that's significant. So back to Daniel chapter 3. The administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the providence gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now with that long list of all these people invited to this big party, this big shindag, they're all going to come out, everybody except Daniel. Daniel was not invited 
We'll see in this chapter, Daniel's not mentioned at all. And not only was he not invited, I would imagine that Nebuchadnezzar sent him on a little mission trip, a little foreign affairs uh, project for him. Maybe go visit somewhere, go to Africa somewhere, go somewhere far, far away and uh, you know, have a good time, maybe a paid vacation, because not only does Nebuchadnezzar know that the statue is not all gold, but Daniel knows that the gold kingdom is going to be replaced by a silver kingdom. And he doesn't want Daniel around reminding him of that and pointing that out to him. And so he gets Daniel out of the way. He sends him on a trip or something. And so Daniel is not invited, although all these other guys are there together to, uh, to see this great statue that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Verse 4. O peoples, nations, and languages, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psalmistry, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image. Right? So it's not just this statue, it's not just this statement that our kingdom is going to reign, but that our God, we are God, we are rulers, and we want you to worship this statue. We're going to have a united worship. Now we see here it says, this proclamation, O peoples, nations, and languages. And we saw when we did chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar, when he would conquer a nation, and he conquered several, that he would gather whom he felt were the best, the smartest, the most talented of those nations, and brought them into his cabinet, into his kingdom, into his working uh, 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 arrangement. And Daniel was one of them that he did that with. And so here it says, all you peoples from all these different nations and all these languages, we're going to all come together and we're going to show our unity by worshiping together. By having a united worship together. To symbolize this one nation that we're not traitors, we're not serving any other kingdom, there is no other kingdom, there is no kingdom like our kingdom, we're not recognizing any other kingdom, we're not going to be replaced by anybody, and coming together and worshiping this image is symbolic of that unity. Now Daniel is very important, as we discussed in chapter 1, that there are several chapters that are story type chapters, they're real stories, they're his stories, they're factual stories, like this one, and then there are other chapters in the book of Daniel, like Daniel chapter 2, that are obviously prophetic. They talk about all different kinds of things, and we'll get into those chapters as well, the prophetic versions, verses, chapters. But the story chapters are not only real stories for us to learn nice lessons from, and this one makes for great children's stories, and, and it's very interesting, and makes for good adult stories, and we can learn lessons from it, but it's also prophetic. It has a dual application was a real event that happened to Daniel, but that foreshadows last day events as well. So we want to keep that in mind as we look at this. So this call for unity among the nations and a unity in worship and a unity in the worship of the image to the kingdom. We'll come back to that. So verse 6, But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And so not only is there a proclamation and an injunction to come together and let's worship together, but there's a punishment if you don't. Right? And, uh, to be thrown in a fiery furnace, a death decree if you don't. And that's an that's a issue, that's a problem. There's a problem with that type of a 
forced worship, right? A forced allegiance with the penalty of death associated with it. And we see that in dictatorships and, and, and monarch, controlling monarchies. And so here that's how Nebuchadnezzar ruled and reigned. So he, again, treated lots of people very nicely. But if they didn't go along with his policies, and especially with worship here, the issue is worship, penalty is death. And that is not good. That's a, a, a red flag right there from the start. So Daniel chapter 3, verse 7, And when all the people heard the sound of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image. All right, again, it has to do with worship. The issue is worship. We're going to see that word several times here. Worshipping this gold image. And it's an image again, so it's the issue is the image. Not necessarily worshipping Nebuchadnezzar, but in a sense it is. He's making himself like a god. And not only worshipping the nation as a whole, but it's worshipping the image, which is symbolic. It's not so much that it's a statue, and that's one thing, but it's not just only the image, but it's what it, the image, not only that it's a statue, but that it's the symbolism of it, the, the, the essence of it, of what the image represents. So the image is not the real thing, but it's what it represents. And that is the issue at hand. Verse 8, And at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Right? What would a story be without an accusation against the Jews, right? So here we go, and there's this accusation, right? So we got the UN here, right? So all these nations and languages, they're all together. So nothing has changed. Nothing new under the sun. There they are all together, and they're accusing the Jews again also, right? Certain Jews, they're messing the whole thing up. They're doing it all over again. And so there comes this accusation. They come to accuse the Jews. And we're going to find out what the issue is. Verse 9, And they spoke to the king, O king, live forever. Kingdom of gold, forever. Live forever. They like that. There are certain Jews who among who you have set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not worship your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So again, the issue is this worship of this image. And that's the issue they come, that's the issue they bring and say that's the problem. But they also indicate that they had another problem with these guys to begin with. That you have set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon. Right? So they're, they're showing their hand there. They weren't so excited about these Jews coming in and having a part in our government together and ruling over the affairs of Babylon. And we're going to see that's going to come up again later on in Daniel with another issue over this affairs of the government and bring this Jew in to rule over it with us. And so they're, they're jealous and they're not so happy. And so now they found a pretense to hold against them and the pretense had to do with worship. And that's what they found. The problem was we found something wrong with the way they worship and the way they don't worship. That they don't worship the way we do. That they're different, and they have a different God, and they serve differently, and so there is the attack against the worship. Now we notice here, and we'll see this throughout this chapter, the Babylon, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's their, that's their Babylonian names. That's the names that 
were given to them when they were taken captive. Again, Babylon came and took over Judah, and took Judah captive, destroyed Jerusalem, and took a bunch of people captive, including Daniel and, and Hananiah, Mishael, and Abednego. That's their Hebrew names. And they changed their names to try and change over to, into Babylonian names and over the Babylonian gods and representation. So there's a shift taking place. They're trying to indoctrinate them. More than just a cultural shift, but an indoctrinal shift, political shift, and religious shift that they were trying to force upon them. But throughout this chapter, it's interesting, probably chapter might have been written by Daniel, but it's written using their Babylonian names. And I think there might be a reason for that, because this chapter might have been used and placed in the Chronicles of Babylon. Might have been a history of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar might have allowed this story to be placed there, and so the Babylonian names are used there as opposed to their Jewish names in Hebrew. And that would be very interesting. Certainly be interesting if we found it someday and dug it up and, and it came forth. But, so, they, so they have this accusation and they come and they bring them forth because of this worship over this image. Now again, we've seen that word and that term used several times here. And we're going to jump to Revelation for a second and we're going to look at how this affects last day events. In Revelation 13, verse 4, they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worship the beast. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. He causes all to worship the first beast. He was granted power and causes as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So the issue you can see over and over again is worship. It has to do with worship. The last day issue is who we will worship. That's what the test is. That's what it's about. It's not about political situations. It's not about freedoms. It's, it, it's about worship and who we choose to worship, whether we worship God or we don't worship God. Right? And, these, and, and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah they did not bow down to the statue, and thus an accusation comes against them. Why didn't they bow down to the statue? Why wouldn't they bow down to the statue? Were they not loyal citizens? Why wouldn't they bow down to the statue? Because the Bible says not to bow down to any statue or any image of anything in heaven or on earth, and worship it. The issue, again, is worship. And where is that found? It's the second commandment. Right? And so they don't bow down because they're not going to break the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. And so in the last days, the issue is having to do with the commandments. Obedience to the commandments. Obedience to God, obedience to the commandments, or disobeying God and demonstrating that by disobeying the commandments. And if you've broken one, you've broken them all. So any one of the commandments, that becomes the issue. That becomes the test. And then whatever the anti-Messiah uses, that will be the test, that will be the test of allegiance, and we'll get more into that as we continue on in Daniel, not tonight, but just a little foreshadowing here in this historical uh, account that takes place in Daniel 3, and we see how it foreshadows into the last day events. Right, so it's not some barcode, and it's not some unknown thing, it's a very known thing. When they come out and try and force us to break one of God's Ten Commandments, we know what it is. Because that's exactly what is being done here. A force on penalty of death to break one of God's Ten Commandments. That's the issue. That's the whole thing right there. 
Again, we get into more details and God lays it out even more in other chapters of the Bible. But in essence, we see it right here. They're being forced to break one on penalty of death, one of God's commandments, and they refused. The issue had to do with worship, whom we will worship, right? And over the image. So it doesn't have to be a statue. It could be any one of the commandments of God. Because the, the commandments represent God. It's the character of God. It's the embodiment of God. Right? So the image is just the symbol. It's just what it represents. Right? We say this company has a good image. Right? I mean, it's a good-looking company. Right? Or they have a good name. Well, that's a good name. That's a name brand. What do we mean by name brand? What do we mean by they, they have a good image? Right? They, 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 they have a good product, and they have good service, and they have a good history, and they have a good reputation. Right? So the image is whatever is what's their representation of them. Right? So it doesn't have to be a statue, it doesn't have to be an actual physical thing, but it's a disobedience to God. And the Ten Commandments are that representation. Right? That's the test. In the beginning, God used the test, right? God placed a tree in the Garden of Eden, and he said, don't eat of that tree. I've given you all these trees, I've given you all this to eat from, and this one tree is just the test. It's just a demonstration of obedience. And so Nebuchadnezzar sets up a statue as a demonstration of obedience. You show your allegiance, you show your obedience to our nation, you bow down and you worship the image as a representation of your worship of me and your obedience to me and your loyalty to me and your loyalty to me to the, to the kingdom and our kingdom is going to last forever and my kingdom will last forever and O king, you shall live forever. Right? That's what he's trying to represent. Again, just like God put the test there in the Garden of Eden, not to eat from that tree. I don't believe that the fruit of that tree was poisonous. Right? Well, the guy was saying, oh, that's poison ivy or whatever. Don't eat from that tree. But it was a test. of the, Not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because once you eat and disobey his simple rule, he gave lots of trees, lots of things to eat from, provide for all our needs, but we choose to disobey, and that's how we learn about evil. The knowledge of evil. And the difference between good and evil. And they blew it. They blew the simple test. Right? And we saw that test. That's what Daniel was tested in the beginning with that simple test. And it's interesting, Yeshua. What was his first test? Turn the bread, turn the rocks into bread. Fasting 40 days, aren't you hungry? Why don't you pray and turn these rocks into bread? First test was food. First test in the garden was food. What to eat, what not to eat. Yeshua's first test was food. And we see with Daniel, the first chapter in Daniel, which again is a prophetic chapter. Uh, a book for last days, was food. Whether they will obey and follow or not. And so I believe in the last days also. So it started, and then we have Daniel kind of there in the middle, between then we have Yeshua, and then we have in the last days. Final test on whether we will demonstrate our obedience on a daily basis. Verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar, back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar said, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? And I think that's good. I mean, he's angry as all could get out. But he brings him forward and he asks him, Is this true? He gives him a little trial here, right? He lets them speak for themselves. And so that's kind of merciful, right? Maybe you're just being falsely accused and just have him beheaded there. He says, okay, come forward. You tell me yourselves. Is this true? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, 
and symphony with all kinds of music and you fall down and worship the image, good. I'll give you a second chance. All right, in case you didn't do it there and they're falsely accused, demonstrate to me, show me here, let's all do it together. We're gonna play the music again, ready, all together, and it gets it going, we'll just, you'll bow down and everything will be good, okay? You ready? And they said, but, or he said, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? All right, so again, there's the force, not just, okay, this is an option for you, freedom of religion, freedom of speech. No, it's not so much an option. These are your choices. You bow down, you worship with us, together with us, all together, kumbaya, right? Unity, all together, um, uh, coexisting together, this, you know, just blend it all together, and that's Babylon, right? Because that's why in Revelation it calls it Babylon. It's not physical Babylon anymore because Babylon was replaced with the silver and the brass has been replaced. But the spirit of Babylon will surface again of just uniting all the worship together with a force issue. Demonstrate that by obeying our laws as opposed to God's laws. Right? It's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. But it'll look really nice. Why can't all of us get together? Only one God, just serve him, right? So they all come together in this big nothing, right? And worship him. Or, if not, we'll get rid of you. We'll throw you into the fiery furnace. That's your choices. So what would you say? There you are in Babylon, you've been taken captive, parents killed, there's just the three of you there, you're brought before the king, most powerful, at that time, it's got guards all around you. The fire is there. They responded. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Right? That's called chutzpah. Right? That's the definition of chutzpah. If you ever want to know what the definition of chutzpah is, there it is. Daniel 3, chapter 16. All right, so they say to the king, we don't even have to think about it. We don't even have to be careful about this matter. We don't have to give you an answer. We're not doing it. That's it. Right? And so when the devil tries to get you to make a choice between two bad choices, you can say neither. Right? That's always an option. Neither is always an option. You try and funnel us into this, oh, you know, you either do what we say or you're fired. You do what I say or I'm leaving. No. I'm not falling for that. You can do whatever you want. But my God is able to deliver me. Right? And that's what they say. Our God, whom we serve, he says, what God can help you? I've conquered your nation. Your God didn't help your nation. I've conquered these other nations and their gods didn't help them. So what God is going to help you? And here they are, captives. Dependent on their food from him. And they say, our God is able to deliver us from your burning, fiery furnace. We don't care about your burning, fiery furnace. That's nothing. Our God will deliver us, and he will. He will deliver us out of your hand. That took faith. Staring at the fire. And they said, no, we're not going to break God's commandments. They're willing to die for not eating pork? 
the king's food and drinking his wine in chapter 1. And here they say, we're, not, we're willing to die just to not bow down. I mean, they easily could have just faked it. Right? They could have just, well, I'll just go tie my sandal here. Right? Just pretending. They could have said, God, you know, I'm really not bowing down. I'm really not worshiping this thing. I'm just doing this. I don't want to lose my job. You know? I've got to protect my life. God doesn't want me to die, does he? Life is sacred. Right? Somehow we, we bolster this love of self. Love of my life is more important than obedience to God. And it's not. Obeying God is more important than life. That's what's demonstrated here in this story. Some people are trying to peddle that there's a commandment to love yourself. There's no commandment to love yourself. There's a commandment to love God and love your neighbor. And you already love yourself. You already love yourself. That's the problem. <laughs> we love ourselves too much. Right? And we, we'd give in here if it wasn't for the power of God. That they put God first. That they love God first. And they love God more than life. And they said, no, we're not doing it. Our God will deliver us. He will. In faith, nothing is impossible for God. They believed it. And they held fast to that. And that takes courage and strength to stand for the right. But it gets even better. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. That's powerful. That is really powerful. That's faith in the power of God, but also the acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. Our God is able to deliver. He's able to heal. He's able to do whatever he wants. But he'll do whatever he wants. Right? We don't control God. We don't tell God what to do. Right? Some people think they have faith and they're going to force God to do whatever. God's going to heal this person. God's going to deliver this person. God's going to... No, we're not God. We don't tell God what to do. We, don't... we pray and we end it. May your will be done. Right? That takes surrender. So they had full faith in God's power but they knew their position in the realm. God is first. And we just surrender to him, whatever is his will. And if he chooses not to deliver us, he'll still deliver us, because death is not the end. Right? We're just passing through this planet anyway. So what's the big deal? We live another 50 years, who cares? What's the difference? Right? And so he's able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us out of the fire, he'll deliver us out of your hand. Either way, we're not in your hand anymore. I won't have to serve you anymore. I won't have to bring you your cookies and pastries anymore, right? I don't have to serve whatever capacity they had there. Your counselor, your advisor. I'm going to be delivered from your hand, one way or the other. He's going to deliver me. Right? And that's the stand we need to have in everything in life. Knowing that nothing is impossible for God, he's able to do beyond what we could ever ask or even think, and yet, trusting, as Yeshua prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Right? That's faith. Faith in the power of God and faith that God knows what's best. And sometimes knowing what's best means he'll let me burn in the fire. Or let me get killed and so on and so on. Many of the prophets of God got killed. 
being martyrs. That's not the end if we have faith in God. And they had true faith in God. But either way, we're not going to bow down to your statue. <laughs> Whether he delivers us miraculously or he lets us burn, we're not bowing down to your dumb little statue there. Right? That's not part of our agenda. We're not doing it. It's faith in God. I know there are some people today who teach that following the commandments of God is not that important anymore. Not important at all. Matter of fact, go ahead and demonstrate your faith in God by being disobedient to God. Right? Could you imagine? Here are these guys, they risked their lives, they stood in a test of right there in front of the fire, surrounded by these soldiers, standing before the king, most powerful, meanest, no doubt, has thrown people in the fire already, and standing before him and risking their lives just because they won't bow down to some little stupid statue. And then someone comes along and says, oh, that doesn't matter anymore. As if God changed his mind. Oh, you know, I'll have to apologize. In heaven, they'll come up and say, what do you mean? We risked our lives, we stood for faith, and then you said it didn't matter anymore? God says, I know, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know what I was thinking when I did that. I made a mistake. I changed my mind a little later on. I saw how hard it was on you guys, and I said, I don't want to make it harder on anyone anymore. I'm going to make it easy. I had a change of heart. Right? I was dumb for 4,000 years. I didn't know what I was doing. But you know, then I had a child, and I decided, oh, it, I'll be nice now all of a sudden. Right? I'll be merciful now. I wasn't merciful. Now I'm going to be merciful. I mean, how would they raise? How would they feel in the resurrection? How would they feel? How would you, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> if it was important enough for them not to bow down, then it's important enough for us not to bow down. We follow God. God doesn't change. His commandments doesn't change. God's not fickle. He doesn't make mistakes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as he's able to deliver them, not so much from the fiery furnace, he's already delivered them from disobedience. And that's the key. That's the key. That's what the Savior saves us from. He doesn't save us from the fires. As a matter of fact, there's a Bible promise that in this life you will suffer tribulation. <laughs> Right? So if you're going through a hard time, praise the Lord, you're fulfilling a Bible prophecy. A Bible promise, right? You're going to suffer tribulation. If you're suffering tribulation, that's, that's right along with what the Bible says. He doesn't promise to deliver us out of every trouble we go through, but he promises to see us through. He promises to give us victory over sin, to give us victory over temptation, the ability to say no to the wrong and yes to the right. Right? Where Adam and Eve fell, he promises that he will give us victory so we won't fall in the same way. As they yielded, we don't have to yield because we have the strength of God, the power of God, the Spirit of God that will come and live inside us as we surrender our lives to him. And again, it didn't happen right here on this day for them, for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It's not going to come when that big thing happens to you. It's the daily surrendering our lives to God. It's the morning and evening worship. It's starting the day, Lord, I surrender my life to you. It's at the end of the day, Lord, okay, it didn't necessarily go as I planned, but I guess I'm just going to have to trust that you're going to work all things out together for good. I don't know, and I don't see how, but I'm just going to trust you. And surrendering every moment of our day to him. And it starts with the little things, right? Do you think they'd be able to stand here against the fiery furnace if they would have yielded and eaten the king's food in chapter 1, no. It was the daily victories that gave him the ability to stand under the one-time dramatic thing that took them. And like they said, 
we don't even have to think about this matter. We've already thought it through. We knew you had the statue. We saw it being built. We knew you were calling us all together for worship. We could have called in sick. You know, we could have gone find something to do. We could have gone on vacation. We could have not shown up. They knew what they were doing. And again, they could have just faked it. They could have just, you know, looked the other way, you know, and just pretend. But they stood as a testimony for the king and for everyone else to stand for the right. That's what God's looking for. People who are willing to stand who have faith in God's power to deliver them and trust that obedience is more important than saving our neck, saving our job. Oh, God doesn't want me to starve to death, and if I lose my job, I'll starve to death. I have to obey the boss. I have to compromise. I have to lie. I have to do this. I have to do what he tells me to do. I know it's not right. I know it's immoral. I know it's cheating. I know it's wrong. I know what the commandment says. I know about Sabbath. I know about this. But, 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 but. No buts. That's why it's written in stone. It's not flexible. The law is not flexible. The law is the law. And that's what it is. That's why it stands there, permanent, written in stone. The victory is that God gives us victory over the temptation. He delivers us over the yielding. His grace gives us power to say no to the wrong. And his forgiveness and his sacrifice and his blood forgives us for the times we've made mistakes in the past. And that we have broken his laws. And so he forgives us, but he does more than just forgive us. He changes us and transforms us so he can present us spotless before the throne of grace. Without wrinkle, without blemish, without guile in our mouths. To stand pure and holy before him as a virgin bride, ready for him. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for Hananiah, Mishael's, and Azariah's to stand up to the confusion, that's what Babylon means, the confusion in Babylon of this world that tries to blend everything together and make one big confusion over it. Give us the power, God's grace. And so they stood. In whatever situation you're facing right now in your life, Stand for the right. Put God first. Place takes courage. It always takes courage. God's courage. God's grace. God's strength. God's power. To stand and not yield. To do what's right. Not in your own power, but in God's strength. Day by day. Moment by moment. Verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed and he commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it usually was heated. Which means they used it at other times. It's usually this heat and we kill lots of people that way. But now he did even seven times more than we usually do to fry people. Make it seven times hotter. He's angry. <laughs> he is not happy at all because they stood for the right. You know, and so he's yelling, he's shouting, he's screaming. They're rough-handling these guys. And they're still not yielding. He commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Here's these three young youth 
Get the strong, mighty men, army men to bind them. What made them, what made them fear them so much? Because of the courage. They're willing to stand with their mouths, and he's fearful of them. He's afraid of them. That he has to call and bind them up with strong army men. Go and bind them so they're bound up, they're tied up. And these men were bound in their coats, trousers, turbans, and other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And these three men fell down, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Right? So they're tied up. They get tossed in there into the middle of it, which means this furnace, it's got to be pretty big. You got three people getting thrown in, laying down, right? So it's got to be at least seven, eight feet long. And wide enough, maybe that wide as well, throws them in the, into the middle of it, right on top of the hot coals. And they're laying there, laying on top of the coals, bound up, they can't move. Thrown in there, face down, on top of the hot, hot, hot coals of the fire, into the flames, into the midst of the fire. And because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these mighty soldiers, these mighty army, strong men, no doubt with protection shields, armor, they go up to the fire and they're throwing them in, and it's so hot that the heat kills them right there on the spot. That's hot stuff. I asked an engineer, he said, it's got to be like over a thousand degrees to kill somebody, just the heat of it coming out of the furnace. Doesn't say they burned up, the heat of the flame kills them and they die there. And here, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, they're inside in the middle of it, thrown down, laying down there. And the king was astonished and rose in haste, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered, True, O king. Yeah, we threw down three. Yeah, you got it right. You counted three, we threw three in there. That's right. We bound them and we threw them down, bound into the middle of the fire. Yes. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That's a miracle as well. Not so much that they're walking around, but that Nebuchadnezzar recognizes the fourth as the Son of God. He sees it right there, 3,000 or so years ago. Maybe 2,700 years ago or so. He sees it and recognizes the fourth one, they're in the middle of the fire and they're walking around. They're walking around inside the fire. They were laying down and now they're standing up. They're walking on the coals. It amazed him, astonished. Come and look and see. And we think, well, that's the miracle. That God protected them from the fire. That's not the miracle. 
Protecting from fire is easy for God to do. That's nothing. That's nothing for God. He created us from nothing. He can protect us from anything. The miracle is a change heart. That's the miracle. For Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to stand by faith. That's the miracle, because that takes a choice. God can change fire. God can change the world. God can change things. He can bring floods. He can move things. Nothing's impossible for God, except changing the heart of someone who doesn't want it changed. And they surrendered. And again, long before this. And now he's moving upon Nebuchadnezzar's heart as well. And he's astonished and amazed. And he sees the fourth one standing there. And maybe right now in your life you're going through some fire. Maybe you feel like you're in the midst of some trouble. There's trials going on. There's pressure on you. You're feeling the heat. Whether a teacher or a boss or a landlord or a neighbor or a spouse or a relative, someone's threatening you with something. They're putting you through the ringer. The pressure is on. The Lord is with you. He's standing with you. He's promised never leave us nor forsake us. And he'll be there when he's needed. He's there in the midst. And we might say, well, how come we don't see him? How come I don't see him standing with me? Well, do we have the faith like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? Have we stood to, in face of death twice? We want to see the power of God. The power of God, again, is not in the storm. It's not in the wind the power of God is in the still, small voice. It says, this is the way, walk ye in it. The power of God is in the obedience. The transformed heart that loves God first and foremost over, over everything. And then loves other people even more important than ourselves. When we do that, then we will see him walking with us. He's always with us. But we, he won't leave us, but we could leave him. They could have bowed there and yielded to save their jobs and to save their neck out there in the desert, and they would have turned their backs on God. And we don't see more of God, and we don't see more of the power of God, because we are too often turning our back on him and compromising and yielding to the Babylon of this world. If we really want to see him, then we need to walk with him. We need to be where he is. And where is he? He's in the fire. <laughs> That's where he is. You want to see him, Lord? I want to see you. Well, he's going to put you in the fire so you can see him. That's where he is. He's standing up against the powers of this world. And when we stand with him, we will stand against the powers of this world. We'll stand against the fears in our hearts the anxieties and the concerns and that we think we know best. The temptation to yield. So we'll have more of a cushy retirement or, or an easier time here. 
is that we can keep our stuff here. You know, we like to hold on to our stuff. We made any tough decisions in life to let go of the stuff? They let go of all. We don't have to think about this in this matter, King. We're not yielding. You can throw us in, our God's going to deliver us. We don't need life. We don't need the stuff here. We're willing to let go of the stuff here. And make our priorities right. Put God first. Not our home, not our car, not our, even our kids or anything else. God first. Put him first in every aspect of our life. Then we'll see the power of God. And we don't see him more often because we're not walking more often. We're not asking for him more often. We want him to help us and satisfy us and make us happy. But we're asking him to give us the power to stand against temptation. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. That's where the power is. And the king went near to the burning fiery furnace and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. That's the miracle. This is the miracle. These are the real miracles in the story. That the king who said, he is the most powerful in the world. I am the head of gold and I am the whole statue of gold. That people have to come up to me and say, oh king, live forever. Who's going to deliver you? What God is able to deliver you out of my fire? And here he says, come out, servants of the most high God. He's acknowledging there is a God higher than his God. There's a God higher than him. That is a miracle for Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge that. That's a miracle for us to acknowledge that. I don't mean with our words. I mean with our finances. I mean with our life. <laughs> our daily decisions. Our time. Our actions. Where we go. What we do. To demonstrate that he is the Most High God, and I will do what he says, and I will trust him. And I'll put him over job, over family, over future, over stuff, over everything. That's the miracle of God. That's the power of God, yielding to him. We want to see it in other people's lives? Well, they got to see it because they went through the test and passed. Verse 26. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, I have no idea what a satrap is, but with the satraps, the governors, the administrators, the king's counselors gathered together and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. There they are in the midst, they were thrown in, bound, and they come out unbound. Because they never were bound. You can't be bound when your heart is given to God. Right? They can imprison us, they can take us, the Hitlers of this world, they can do whatever they want for us, but they don't have us. You can't take my heart, you can't take my mind, you can't take my soul, you can't take my decisions. They can't force it out of you, you have to choose to yield to them. And that's the test. That's going to be the test. The haters of this world are going to try and force us to make the test, to make the choice, to yield to them. But we don't have to yield. We don't have to give up our mind. We don't have to give up our soul. We don't have to give up our decisions. They were not bound. 
They were physically bound. They were thrown into the virus, but they were just as free when they were laying there on top of the coals as when they were born. And we can be free indeed every day of our life as we put God first over everything in this world. Sin does not have to bind us. Temptation does not have to hold us. The power of the Lord, salvation, is to set us free from the guilt and from the condemnation and from the power of temptation. And he sets us free. And they came out and the smoke wasn't even on their clothing. Their clothing was not burned. The hair of their head was not even singed. Only the ropes that bound them, they were loosed. And walking around dancing, singing hallelujah in the fire. And the king has to call them out. <laughs> Come out. They probably wanted to stay in. They were with the Son of God calls them out and they come out and everyone sees the fire hasn't even touched them when we have true faith and we go through the struggles and we go through the trials right I've said it before here when you're going through hell don't stop right keep going <laughs> keep going through hell right go through the other side right they went through hell they went through the valley of the shadow of death they feared no evil they went through it. you got to go through it. There's no way to heaven without going through the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm not going physical death, but it's going through the problems in this life. There's no other way. you got to go through Vanity Fair, and you got to pass through the trials and the temptations and become unspot, untouched by the things of this world. They came out of the fire untouched by the fire. It's possible to live in this world and not be touched by this world. It's possible to go through the fires and the trials of this world and not be touched by the fires and the trials of this world. I've heard some very powerful testimonies of people who've gone through horrible things. And yet you see them and you have no idea. You look at your fire, your, your clothing has not even been singed. Your hair has not even been affected. We can't even see that they went through it. Because they went through with faith. They went through walking hand in hand with the Lord God. And he'll take us through. And he'll walk us through. And there's other people, they go through something similar, maybe even less or more or whatever. And it destroys their life and they can't function the rest of their life. We don't have to be prisoners of our past. It doesn't matter what was done to us in the past. It doesn't matter what fires we went through in the past. We can come through it unsinged and they can't smell the fire on our clothes, untouched by the calamity, untouched by the problem. When we walk with God, again, he doesn't promise any short bypass around the fires, around the furnaces, around the temptations of the statutes and the junk. We make the choices, hard choices. But when we've chosen God first, like they said, it's not even a hard choice for us. We don't even have to think about it. We've already made our choice. We're going to follow God regardless of your fire. And they walked through, and they couldn't even tell. And you know, everyone, you know, sometimes when we're going through it, we think we're the only one. No one knows the troubles I've seen, <laughs> right? Nobody knows, right, the troubles, right? But we all go through it. But those who go through successfully, sometimes you can't even tell. 
Let's say, well, you don't know what I'm going through because you didn't experience what I've experienced. Well, we have. And when we've done it successfully, they can't even see it. Right? Like a, a great sports or whatever, they do it and they seem so effortless. Oh, I can do that. Look at it, he just did that. Well, it wasn't just that. <laughs> you know, it takes years of practice and skill. And when we go through it, it looks, it looks like, oh, you got it easy. But the closer we get to God, the, the stronger the temptation, the stronger the trials, but he sees us through even more powerfully. And the more position we have or whatever responsibility, the greater the attack the devil brings upon us, but we'll still come through it unsinged. Un, no smoke even. Won't even smell like smoke. We'll walk through that problem and it'll be like it never happened. That's how whatever problem you've gone in your past, if you're holding on to something in your past, if there's some trouble still plaguing you today because of something that happened in your past, you can let go of it now. And the smell of it will be gone. You can surrender it to God and you'll be free from the burden of the past. Whatever they did, whatever was done, whatever happened, maybe it was your own wrong choice or someone else's wrong choice, you can walk through and you can walk out of here tonight not smelling of that smoke anymore. Right? When we hold on to it, everyone smells it. Right? We stink when we hold on to our grudges and our anger and our bitterness and our resentment and our unforgiveness. We can be set free. And others will notice. You don't even smell. I don't believe that. I can't believe you went through that. We can share the testimony and it'll be hard for them to believe because we won't even smell of the smoke. We'll be free of the shackles and of the results of it. Set free out of the fire. And others will see it. And God will be glorified in our testimony. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have furiated, frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. He is amazed and he gives glory to God. Nebuchadnezzar is being changed here. It's powerful what's taking place in his life. And we'll see changes in other people's lives as they see us go through trials, trusting in the Lord. When they see us taking a stand for the right, even though everyone else in the world is bowing down and all the world will follow after the beast, all the world will bow, except those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's not going to be the majority. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. Broad way. The Broadway, right? New York City, Broadway, Hollywood, right? Broad is the way that leads to destruction. But narrow is the path to heaven, right? Only eight got in the ark. Three stood for the right. Everyone else yielded. Don't follow the crowd. Now, well, so many excuses. Oh, well, everyone else is doing it. Surrender the excuses and walk with the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar saw it and all his governors and everyone else there saw it. And God will be glorified. Nebuchadnezzar is not fully changed yet, as we see here in the next verse. We need the next chapter for that, and we'll see that another week.
Because then he goes on, therefore I make a decree that any people, nations, or languages which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Right? So he's still got the mentality of force. He's still got this pride, he's still got this arrogance, he's still got this control, and he's still now using that, he's using it for God, but that still doesn't count, right? And that's how it's going to be in the last days. Again, this is a prophetic chapter. This whole, all has come together, all nations and languages bow and worship this image, bow down and worship together our way, or else it'll look nice, it'll sound nice. Unity coming together. We might have to use some force to get everyone on board. But if there's force attached with it, not free choice, not free will, it's not from God. God gives free choice. Gave free choice to Lucifer in heaven. He gives free choice to Adam and Eve. That's what the whole test in the garden was, free choice. And he gives us free choice now. And so everything might sound great with it, we might say yes to all the principles of it, but if it's a force aligned with it, and if it's disobedience to any of God's Ten Commandments, it's not from God. And that's going to be the key. That's how we'll know. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the province of Babylon. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. But the only way to go up is to bow down. Not bowing down to the statues, not bowing down to the images, not bowing down to the world, not bowing down to the things of the world, not bowing down to the Amazon and this and that and everything. It's bowing daily in our devotions to God, surrendering all to Him, letting go of the things of this world, and trusting and walking with Him. So as we prepare to pray in another minute, any of these areas apply to you. Maybe right now you're going through some fiery trial. Maybe right now you're in the midst of it. <laughs> and you need God to stand there with you. He's already with you. But if you need that faith that he's with you, you can't see him, but you need that faith to see him. You need that courage. You need that strength. In a moment when we pray, ask God to strengthen you through this trial, to hold your hand, to make himself known, and to walk you through the trial. Secondly, if you're being faced with some temptation, some trial is coming upon you, you need to make a decision, right or wrong, truth or error, God or against God. Ask God to give you the grace to stand for the right. Maybe it's pressure at work, maybe it's pressure at home, maybe it's pressure your homeowners association or some, some big, powerful, mighty, controlling entity out there. Surrender to God and don't give in. Hold fast to the Lord and ask for his courage. Ask for his faith. Ask for his strength. And stand, and God will deliver you. And even if he doesn't, Better to stand with God than to disobey Him. Thirdly, if you've been a controlling person, like a Nebuchadnezzar, using force, manipulation, coercion, 
threats. I encourage you to surrender that to the Lord because that's not from God. Confess it over to God and surrender to Him. Give it over to Him. Let Him free you from it. Four, if you've had an attitude of pride, who's going to deliver you from my God? There's no God like my God. I am the head of gold, and not only the head of gold, I am the whole statue of gold. I'm going to live forever. My way is always right. I'm never wrong. You got an attitude of pride, a spirit of pride. Surrender that to the Lord. And like Nebuchadnezzar, acknowledge God is the most high God. Maybe your pride has to do with God. You're telling God what to do. God has to answer your prayers, the way you pray them, what you say. Surrender to him. Give over the pride and yield it to him. And acknowledge him as sovereign. Your will, O Lord, not my will be done. Also, if there's some sin in your heart, some area where you've been yielding, the day of trial is going to come. The day of reckoning is going to come. All of us are going to have to make a decision for God or against God sometime in our life. Now is the day to be preparing for it. And if we've been yielding, we're going to fall in the future. So if there's some area in your life, some sin in your life, some area from the past or current where you haven't confessed, where you haven't surrendered it, surrender to the Lord and give it over to him in the moment when we pray. Accept his forgiveness, accept the Messiah's sacrifice on your behalf, cleansed, removed, and delivered completely, and ask for his spirit to give you the power to stand for the right in the future. Also, if there's been some trial in the past and you're smelling like the smoke of it and you want to surrender that over to God, now's the time. Give it over to him. Release the past. Release the anger, the bitterness, the revenge, the rage, the fear, the insecurity, the hurt, the pain, the grief, the unforgiveness. Surrender it over to him and let him deliver you from the effects of the fire. Let him walk empower you to walk forward from here tonight, cleansed and delivered with no spot. If any of those areas apply to you, or maybe some other area God's been speaking to your heart, a lot in this chapter. Maybe you've got some other area God's been speaking to your heart and mind about. So we pray, let God do his work in your life. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you, Lord, for the courage and the strength and the faith that you gave to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we pray for similar faith to be given to us. An attitude of surrender. Lord, we need you. You are the Most High God and we want to surrender all to you. Not our will, your will to be done. We give over all our problems and all our sins and our attitudes. We want to surrender all to you. Our time, our energy, our finances, our choices over to you. Take us and use us and mold us. And when our fiery temptation comes, give us the ability to stand. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.